Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, October 12th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, yesterday I had a couple stories that I just, I had to talk to you about. One being these ridiculous grosses and top ticket price and Tony odds for Bruce Springsteen. Being the diehard boss fan that you are, did you have any thoughts on all of that crazy stuff that came out of Michael Riedel's article the other day? Yes, Bruce Springsteen is right 100% of the time. Uh, okay. Do you do you anticipate him uh, actually allowing Tony voters to come in and see the show? Or do you think he'll pr- try to go the route of the special Tony so he doesn't actually have to let voters in? I don't know. Who is who's producing? Is it Duke Jamson or is Bruce Springsteen's company producing or... Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, it is in a Jujamson house, so I'm not sure if they're involved or, I mean, Springsteen could probably just do it by himself if he really yeah. wanted to. Yeah, no. So I, I would I would imagine that it would depend upon whoever's producing to see, uh, you know, if they're going to go the Tony route, if he, you know, does he even care about that? Uh, it, se- it seems like from Riedel's article, he does care. Um, it looks like it's being produced by John Landau, George Travis, and associate producer Barbara Carr. I have no idea who they are. I don't foresee it as going down the Tony road. I think that they're going to do their thing and get out of Dodge. And uh, and the how many tickets? 1,400 tickets or so for Tony voters? If they give them a plus one, they, Michael Riedel deposited in the New York Post yesterday that potentially they could not give plus ones and they can maybe just do one extra performance and say, if you're a Tony voter, come to this one. Um, I, I don't know that that's the way to go in those things, but Springsteen did write the book. He did direct it. He is sticking to a script fairly religiously. So maybe he, you know, wants to try to go that route. I can't see this winning best musical or best book for a musical, best direction in a musical. But, uh, you know, weirder things have happened. <laughs> well, I, you know, I just hope I get a chance to see it. I get my emails every morning that say <laughs> I, I, I am not seeing it today. <laughs> the odds the odds are no longer in your favor. <laughs> All right. First up in the news, Broadway gets another surprising limited run. Yeah, James, this is one of those strange things that are crazier things have happened. Um, on Tuesday, we got the unforeseen announcement of the reality star-led home for the holidays, taking over the August Wilson for a month and a half this fall. And then yesterday, we learned that something called Rocktopia would be nestling into the Broadway theater for six weeks, uh, five, six weeks this coming spring. First, what is Rocktopia, you ask? Um, it officially calls itself a musical revolution that celebrates the fusion of the best rock songs of the past century with some of the greatest classical classical music ever written. Rocktopia showcases the works of musical innovators including Mozart, Queen, Beethoven, Journey, Handel, U2, Tchaikovsky, Pink Floyd, Hart, Rachmaninoff, Foreigner, Copeland, The Who, and more. Okay. Uh, apparently, the show tours across the country, so people seem to know what it is in some, you know, parts of the U.S. Um, and it it apparently delivers a show that consists of talented lead vocalists, a five piece rock band, a choir of forty, and an orchestra of twenty. James, there are some musician unions that'll be very happy with this. The show will slip into the Broadway from March twentieth through April twenty ninth, a couple of months after Miss Saigon's planned final performance, and still five, six, seven or so months before King Kong takes over the venue. Now, James, I I don't know if they ever said that King Kong would require renovations at the Broadway, but 
for there being so long in between Miss Saigon and that show when there hadn't been anything announced for there, I kind of just assumed that it would need something uh, done to the venue. And even now, if the show ends in late April, that still gives them five or six months to do anything that the show requires inside the building. So I guess that could happen. And, you know, I've been talking about potential limited runs and holiday shows and concerts filling in some of the gaps on the real estate calendar. But, man, James, these last two are not what I anticipated at all. So do I get to blame you for this type of thing? <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can blame Miss Cleo if you want. There's this thing. You know Rob Evan from Jekyll and Hyde? Uh, uh, no. Rob does this thing, and I can't – it's like this Trans-Siberian Orchestra. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, okay, yeah. So it sounds like Rocktopia, and I'm surprised that, you know, that Trans-Siberian Orchestra, who's had a bunch of Broadway artists uh, don't work uh, with them all over the world, that they haven't come back to Broadway or come to Broadway with this type of thing. But this Rocktopia sounds very similar to it. And uh, I think that there's a crossover in the audience that would like the, the songs that you have mentioned there. So, and yeah, especially I mean, in a limited run. Yeah, it doesn't actually sound uninteresting to me. Like I, I've gone and seen, I've seen the band Kansas with a college orchestra before, and that was super fun. Um, I just don't know that I would see it on Broadway. You know, like I don't know that it's that kind of thing, but. Um, I could be wrong. I mean, I have nothing against this other than it's weird and it's, you know, a theater that we could get a limited run of a play or a musical in. Um, but I don't dislike the concept behind Rocktopia. All we are is dust in the wind. Um, so, <laughs> uh, I go, uh, I, I have gone in the past to a, a number of shows where large orchestras will play Led Zeppelin and somebody mm -hmm. will sing it. Uh, yeah, like a, a, a Zeppelin tribute with a large orchestra, and it's really interesting. And they are packed. So uh, yeah. I don't know, maybe something like this in a short run, an empty space, and keeping some uh, people employed. I'm all for that. Yeah, absolutely. And if this does become even a moderate hit, this is something that I think could work probably pretty easily by slipping something in for a month, five weeks, or something when a theater owner needs it. If this proves to be you know, beneficial and something that you don't need a star like Bruce Springsteen to headline a concert on Broadway or Christian Chenoweth, like we saw last year. Um, if you can say, Hey, here's this concept. That's just good music done in an interesting way that people don't see on an everyday basis. It could be a new option for theater owners to, uh, keep raking in some rental money when they don't have a show ready. I wonder if, uh, next year, if there's uh, three or four weeks empty in some sort of theater schedule, if you'll see, Bet come back to Broadway and do a concert for mm. three or four weeks. You know? I mean, she's done that before. She did. I mean, years and years ago, I believe she did one. Um, so who knows? Uh, you know, she's obviously getting her Broadway legs back under her with Hello Dolly. So it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. <laughs> All right. Next up, uh, two acclaimed theater artists among this year's MacArthur geniuses. Yeah, James. Yesterday, it was announced that playwright Annie Baker and Playwright, performance artist Taylor Mack are among the recipients of this year's MacArthur, Fel MacArthur Fellowship, or as they are more colloquially known, the Genius Grants. The MacArthur Fellowship is a $625,000, no-strings-attached award to extraordinarily talented and creative individuals as an investment in their potential. Annie Baker is the Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright behind such shows as The Flick, Circle Mirror Transformation, John, The Antipodes, and more. And over the last few years, Mack has turned the theater 
queer community on its head and probably made them a little tired at times with his a 24 decade history of popular music, which at times is performed for 24 straight hours. He is also known for his off-Broadway show, Her, that played in 2014. The three criteria for selection of MacArthur Fellows are one, exceptional creativity, Two, promise uh, for important future advances based on a track record of significant accomplishments. And three, potential for the fellowship to facilitate subsequent creative work. Another genius recipient with ties to Broadway is singer, instrumentalist, and songwriter Rihanna Giddens, who was slated to replace Audra McDonald when she went on maternity leave from Shuffle Along a couple summers ago, only to have Scott Rudin close the show instead. Um, So, James, you know, when you had Lin-Manuel Miranda – uh, last year, get this, or yeah, I think it was last year. That was no surprise. But to hear two people who are big names to us, Annie Baker and Taylor Mack, um, but to be recognized by this huge, incredible honor, that's really cool. I'm I'm really excited about it. The Flick is one of my favorite shows of all time. So I, I was very excited to hear this today. I'm right there with you. Uh, I, I'm, I was pleasantly surprised when I saw this news. And I was very excited because these are these are people who are well deserving, and uh, to have the ability to you know basically it's financial backing for them to go and not have to quote unquote work so that they can work. Yeah, absolutely, well deserved. All right, next up: show, movie, TV, show, and casting news. Yeah, there's shows. It's TV show. I put an extra comma. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I'm just putting in one section, so deal with it. Um, on <laughs> Tuesday night, Bobby Conte Thornton, who plays Calagero in A Bronx Tale of the Musical, announced on social media that his final day in the show would be November 5th. He was uh, the original star of the show in its Broadway run. No official announcement or replacement has been confirmed by the show as of yet. One thing that has been confirmed is the pint-sized star of Fox's upcoming A Christmas Story Live. On Wednesday, producers announced that after a nationwide search, 11-year-old Andy Walken from Seattle, Washington has been cast in the role of Ralphie Parker in the live musical to air on December 17th, beginning at 7 p.m. on Fox. Great. All we need is another walk-in and a live musical. We know how that went last time. Um, James, that's just over a little over two months away from now, so I would imagine that rehearsals are already well underway, and we will start to get more casting announcements, including some fun musical theater-ish names in fairly short order. Speaking of the TV and Broadway overlap... Much to my great dismay, yesterday it was confirmed that Victor Garber will be leaving the superhero show DC's Legends of Tomorrow in anticipation of his Broadway return in Hello, Dolly. James, we've mentioned this before. I wasn't happy about it then. But in Tuesday night's season premiere, no spoilers, they set up a fairly straightforward reason for Garber's half of Firestorm, Professor Martin Stein, to to depart the time-traveling wave rider. Of course, that doesn't answer the important question of what will happen to Firestorm's other half, Jefferson Jackson, who, without his nuclearly fused other half, will be without superpowers. James, I I don't know if I can wait this long to find out what happens. I'm uh, I'm going crazy over here. But anyway, (laughs) finally in this section, yesterday we got word that the screen adaptation of Michael John LaCusa's Hello Again will be screened in limited release across the country beginning on November 8th. The musical stars Audrey McDonald, Martha Plimpton, T.R. Knight, Rumor Willis, Cheyenne Jackson, Jenna Ushkowitz, Sam Underwood, Nolan Gerard Funk, and more. It's described like this if you're unfamiliar with the show. 100 years, 10 love affairs, one city of lost souls. Hello Again explores a daisy chain of New Yorkers slipping in and out of one another's arms in 10 musical vignettes, blurring the parameters of time, 
love, eroticism, and exploitation. In the link in the show notes for this, there are pictures and a trailer that you should definitely check out. And James, people can also see if the film is playing in their area and the show notes as well. However, I would imagine that even if it's not playing in a theater near you, that it will be available on demand or digital download shortly after it's in movie theaters as well. Uh, in the uh, Times yesterday, uh, they celebrated the late Michael Friedman. Yeah, James. Yesterday, uh, Michael Paulson from the New York Times published a, a really touching article about the late Michael Friedman. The composer, as most people know, died of complications related to HIV last month. And in an era where HIV and AIDS is no longer really considered a death sentence, uh, Paulson reminded everyone of just how terrifying this disease can be and how awful it was in decades past. James, this article seemed to really touch a lot of people in the community, especially since he was so young and and, and well-loved and, and such an important member of the community. The article did note that Friedman didn't even know that he had HIV until he saw his primary care physician in July, and then infections started coming in September, and and obviously we know the sad outcome of that. But um, this article was it was really touching, and for somebody who had so much promise, um, it was it, it's very sad. But it was nice to kind of look back and see how instrumental he was to a lot of people's careers and just how well loved he was yeah it's uh, been shared so many times on facebook and twitter by peter people in the theater community uh, uh it's heartbreaking but it, it showed how much everybody loved michael friedman all right so uh why don't we head over to the land of yesteryear and daniela's got another theater throwback Hi everybody, this is Daniela Parcel, and I'm here with this week's theater throwback. Last week, I talked about the original Broadway production of Cats. To hear all about that, you can head over to Today on Broadway for Thursday, October 5th. Today, we're going back to the opening night of a much lesser known musical called Dude, The Highway Life. Dude opened at the Broadway Theater on October 9th, 1972, and closed on October 21st. I have a handful of articles here, most of which were published within the span of about three weeks that chronicle the brief journey of Dude on Broadway. Dude featured music by Jerome Ragney and book and lyrics by Galt McDermott. If those names sound familiar, it's because they were also two of the creative masterminds behind Hair, which of course was a huge success a few years earlier. The team hoped to follow up with another hit. In the words of Mick Candlish Phillips of the New York Times, Dude was to be a flagrantly anti-Broadway musical, Broadway musical, breaking the pattern of conventional musicals and introducing a whole new style. Dude was certainly unique, but it didn't break the barriers that the team hoped it would. The plot centers around a young man named Dude, who was supposed to represent every man. He is tempted by the forces of evil, which appear in characters named Zero, Esso, and Extra, as well as the forces of good, here named Number 33, Mother Earth, Bread, and Susie Moon. In the end, Number 33, the apparent leader of the good, assures Dude that life is just show business, and the evil is defeated. If that sounds confusing or incomprehensible, that's because it pretty much was. McDermott himself admitted that early on in the process, he accepted that Dude was a totally illogical musical, but that was what he liked. The zaniness didn't stop at the plot. 
The interior of the Broadway theater was completely reconstructed for the show's brief run. Seats were torn out to create a circus-like arena, with audience members sitting on all sides in sections labeled Foothill and Valley. The orchestra was spread out, with wind instruments against one wall and strings on the other. At one point, the stage was filled with soil to create a forest-like feel, but the idea had to be scrapped as the dust clouds led to sneezing, inability to see, and just general dirtiness. Following a tumultuous rehearsal and preview period, during which the original star, director, choreographer, and costume designer were all replaced, Dude opened to, unfortunately, mostly negative reviews on Monday, October 9th, 1972. Douglas Watt of the New York Daily News called it a boisterous, sprawling, unfocused entertainment, a kind of half-baked allegory. Audience reaction was similar. In her article, Patricia Bosworth states the general consensus. It was entertaining sometimes, yes. The music was great, yes. But what's dude all about? The musical did not make it much longer, closing on October 21st after just 16 regular performances. Dude was far from successful, but it certainly was unlike anything audiences had ever seen. As I mentioned, there were some really, really intriguing articles written about Dude back in the day, and there will be links to all of those in the notes. Also this week in history, on October 9th, 2014, Terrence McNally's star-studded It's Only a Play opened on Broadway at the Schoenfeld Theater. On October 12th, 1914, Pygmalion premiered on Broadway. This would become the basis of two musicals currently headed to Broadway, My Fair Lady and Pretty Woman. On October 13, 1962, Edward Albee's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf opened on Broadway, and on that same date in 2012, the play's fourth Broadway revival opened at the Booth. On October 13, 2007, the Broadway production of Legally Blonde was broadcast to viewers on MTV. And finally, on October 4, 1961, the original production of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying opened at the 46th Street Theater, which of course is now the Richard Rogers. That is all I have for this week. Thanks for listening. Again, I am Daniela Parcell. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniela Parcell, and I'll be back next Thursday with another theater throwback. All right, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt and subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Thursday with us. Matt and I will be back to uh, wrap up the weekend for you tomorrow. <laughs>